1: We are alive to God. Positionally speaking, God has declared it through Christ, which means we're also dead to sin. So don't let that sin reign in your bodies. We'll talk about that next here on Abounding Grace. Adam is our representative and he failed miserably. He had true free will. He was created alive. He didn't start out dead like you and I in our sins. So when you and I are made alive in Christ, we then have this ability to choose, which is why Paul says, let sin not reign in your mortal bodies. We actually have that ability. And that's what we're talking about today here on Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner in Romans chapter 6 and the details.
2: In verses 12 through 14 of Romans 6, we see the practice of overcoming sin. And we have seen throughout this passage that the focus is Jesus Christ died to the power of sin. He paid the curse of sin. He rose to newness of life. We are one with him in his death and resurrection, so that when we believe in him, a great death takes place in us. The old man is crucified. The domain of sin is broken. And like our Lord Jesus rose to newness of life, so we experience the first resurrection from death to life, from sin to righteousness, from fear to the confidence. Of God's children Paul said in verse 11 that we are to think on these things he didn't tell us to do anything except to think consider earnestly contemplate meditatively prayerfully what it means to be dead to sin in Christ no longer does it have its domain over us We are alive to God through Jesus Christ, and we are to give ourselves to thinking on this. Now, in verses 12 through 14, we come to the really first command, do this in the whole letter. But before we look at verse 12, because that's all I will have time to get to today, I want to talk about some vital assumptions. We have died to sin in the death of Christ, but it is very dangerous, beloved, to conclude from this that we are done with sin, that we don't have to worry about it any longer. Some people elevate God's grace in this very fashion and say things like, the believer doesn't have to worry about sin any longer. He doesn't need to feel guilty about the sin in his life. Since we're forgiven, conviction over our sins is misplaced guilt. It's a waste of time. And if you hear sermons trying to press God's people with biblical duty, somehow that is interfering with grace, and it is an unloving legalism. Now, this fairy tale, as it continues to unfold in the modern church, at least in this country, uh, the best thing to do about sin is simply to let go and let God. Just surrender yourself to spiritual impulses and, and to your feelings. And, and then you will really be a truly free child of God. Now, of course, these kind of sentiments appeal to our fallen nature. And it certainly makes sermons more uplifting. I mean, who wants to hear about sin who wants to hear about judgment who wants to hear about God's chastening against the sin in our lives so when there are many smooth merchants who set up their money tables of cheap grace in God's table temple it is easy for us to be carried along by these hawkers of easy grace and cheap grace But why have they drawn such a crowd? This is not our tradition in this land. This is not where we have come from. This was not the Reformation. Perhaps we, others, those who would encourage holiness have done so with morose words and long faces. Or maybe even a prideful elitism, you know. We're better than others. Of course, those kinds of calls to holiness do not reflect our Savior's joy in obedience, his passion. And they certainly don't echo worthy is the lamb that is going on right now at the right hand of the Father. You know, when we present holiness like that, duty is not seen as it should be in connection with our Savior's presence and power in our lives, and doctrine, as important as it is, rather than unfolding the unsearchable riches of Christ and his holiness, becomes a battering ram against those who don't measure up. Because the joy of pleasing God is not emphasized. So it is likely that we, the Reformed community, that is me and you, it is very likely that we have been guilty of not proclaiming holiness as the unfolding of Christ's life within us. We have not emphasized that he has freed us from the dominion of sin and that we are able to resist sin and overcome it, not because we are better or smarter or wiser, but because the Lamb of God has triumphed in the place of wretched sinners who could do nothing to free themselves from their prisons. Now this place, our warfare against sin, which is what this Patches is about, on a very different plane than morbid introspections on the one hand, or piety by guilt. Oh, I better change some things because I feel so very guilty. Guilty. It is also very different from the perfectionist strains and the screaming judgments that preachers have given that divide and criticize the precious flock for which Christ has died. Yes, make no mistake. We are called upon strictly, straightly, fervently, imperatively to give ourselves to the pursuit of holiness but this is a pursuit undertaken in fellowship with our Savior and therefore in fellowship with one another. In the pursuit of holiness, there will be seasons of grief and there is no place for giddiness in the Christian life. We we see so many of the holiest men that ever lived sometimes crying over their sins, but understand We are different than Job. We are different than Daniel. We are different than David because Christ has now come and died to sin and been raised to newness of life. Therefore, for us, joy must be predominant because our Savior walks with us. He's already carried the field. He's already routed His enemies, sin, Satan, and death. And he has set up his royal banner of victory. So as we call upon him, as we believe in him, as we abide in him and keep his cross before us, not only is there continual cleansing for all our sins, but there is also indwelling strength so that we can resist sin and dedicate ourselves to God's service. And this is what we call amazing grace. Amazing grace is not free, 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 do what you want. Amazing grace is that we are forgiven and purified from our sins by our Savior's sacrifice. So that freed from our chains, He has opened the prison doors. So that we might give ourselves to God and walk in newness of life. So in recovering us by His grace, God has recovered us to joy. Because he has recovered us to holiness. Let's look now at verse 12. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. I want to make six points about this verse today. The first of which is that we are to resist sin because we are alive to God in Christ. Scripture is always telling us, you want to be happy, be holy. Psalm 1. blessed or happy are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. John 13.7, if you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. So if we're going to be happy, we are going to have to be holy. Now we would prefer for God to say, now listen, I'll do it all for you. Just have a surrender service Come throw a stick in the fire. Come and feel good about Jesus. Say some words of goodness. Cry some tears. Put our Father, but our Father has chosen a different path to joy. Scripture says that God is joy itself. Psalm 1611. Memorize this verse. He says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why? Because God is holy, holy, holy. The reason God is so happy and so full of joy is because he is so holy and righteous. Heaven sings of God's holiness because his holy presence is the only true source of lasting and legitimate joy. Now listen. God created us to live with no sin. No sin. And yet, what did we do? We sided with the devil. Lies, envy, ingratitude. Let's rip God's very crown off his head. And we plunged his beautiful world into the most frightful sin and misery. But, oh, beloved, he didn't leave us there. He is rich in mercy. And even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He, we see in Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, made us alive together with Christ. He, you see, our Father, one of His greatest acts of grace is instead of leaving us in the misery and death of sin, He made us alive together with Christ. Christ. This very passage we've been studying over the past couple of weeks is teaching us that being alive, we are cleansed and we have the spirit of Christ and we can begin to resist sin in our lives and we resist sin as we refuse to let it have dominion over us. And then we are happier because we are holier. So remember, in resisting sin, we can do so only because God has made us alive together with Christ. We don't pursue holiness because of guilt or because we have perfectionist delusions or because we even have strength to do so. Because it is God's strength in us that enables us. In his life, in, it's his life in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is alive to God. He is reigning at the right hand of the Father to bring fullness of life and abundant life to those who look to Him. And God will have this life to be known. He will have His grace to be glorified and to fill the whole world. Resistance to sin ultimately comes down to this. God makes His formerly dead enemies His living, holy children. That's what grace is. That is the grace of God, as Paul describes in Titus 2, that has appeared to all men. That those who were dead, he makes alive, so that we, we, would deny, we deny ungodly lusts, and we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. So remember, as you are challenged, as I am by these verses, to resist sin, it all depends upon this one idea. This one reality, this one victory that Christ has died to the power of sin and he is alive to God. And we are one with him. Therefore, we can resist sin. Second, resisting sin is an active privilege. This is the reason we've got to reject all those giddy libertines who Walk the earth, setting up shop within the church, saying that grace frees us from any concern with sin or duty or anything like this at all. You know, if the testimony of some is believed, then God doesn't care about his word and worship any longer in 2022. What he really cares about is that you feel free and fluffy. When he really cares, what he really cares about is that we can feel close to him, and yet all the while live as we please. But you see, this is not grace. Being open to sin, being indifferent to sin, being unwilling to resist sin is not grace. That is Satan's fruit offered to us afresh. Nor should we think that resisting sin is some kind of passive matter of just pure surrender, as some pietists have claimed. From verse 12, we get one idea here, that the watchwords of Christ's kingdom are fight and resist, let not sin reign. He has triumph. We are one with him, and therefore we are to share in his victory and resist sin, whether it is an individual sin, family sins, congregational sins, or even national sins. We are called upon to resist. It is an active, energetic principle so that when we give in to sin, especially when we do so thoughtlessly and carelessly because we didn't make provision for victory by putting on Christ, as Paul will teach in his book, what are we doing? We are denying grace. We are spitting on the cross of our Savior. Why did He die again? To purify us from sin, so we could be a Peculiar people dedicated to good works. So, beloved, don't forget this about holiness. Holiness is a privilege. Holiness is a responsibility. Holiness requires strenuous energy and effort and power. Not out of guilt, not out of moroseness, but in union with Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. And the more we grow in love for Jesus, holiness will be less of a burden, for it is a privilege and a joy. Now, he says, resist sin in your mortal body. That's our third thing here. A special focus is given to the body. Why? Because it is the visible vehicle that carries out the hidden lust of the heart. Here we are to think, not simply of the eyes and the ears and the mouth and the outward instruments, but also the imagination, the thoughts, and the affections. You see, sin has taken root in everything, and it must be resisted everywhere. The Holy Spirit may be thinking here expressly of those more evident expressions of sin that we normally associate with the body, Sexual sins, wandering eyes, out-of-control tongue, hands that work sin rather than righteousness. And mortal does remind us that the body is fallen. It is sinful. It is decaying. It is dying. And in the next chapter, Paul is going to call the body the body of this death. But please understand, this is glorious that we are to resist sin there in the body of this death, that body that is decaying, the body that is sometimes, let's be honest, its urges are very, very strong. And many people, because they have not been able to resist those urges, have fallen back on the dangerous and impossible dualism. We have all heard in its popular form like this, well... In my heart, I am right with God, but in my body, I just kind of do whatever. No, it is not like that, because Jesus' victory is complete. He didn't die as an ethereal spirit. He died in a body. He rose in the body. Therefore, our faith is not just a spiritual principle that has no impact on this life or this world, or this body. Now, granted, the full glory and the full chains awaits the resurrection. But even now, in union with Him, we are to use our bodies for God's service, not man's and not sin's gratification. It's members of the body, the eyes, the sexual desires, the fiery tongue. These things are not stronger than the grace of Christ jesus has defeated the principle of sin and his grace is much more powerful than sin so when we feel our sinfulness and our weakness here let's not despair let's call upon christ the victor he says resist it in your mortal decaying body resist it you can't not because you're good but because he says i am powerful not through tricks. Not through, well, you know, I'll give it a, a little carrot, but I'll avoid giving it the stake. No, Christ says, I have won everything. Look to me. Cry to me. Depend upon me. We are called to resist. And in the light of what Jesus has done for us, we are strictly commanded, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Now, fourth. What does this mean in practice? How? I know that's what everyone wants to know. How? Resisting sin is to be a way of life. And this is my fourth point. A way of life. Spiritual discipline is to be a habit. I can't talk about many things here now, but... Let me just mention a few things. First, if you're even slightly aware of your sinfulness today, then you are going to look at verse 12 as probably one of the most solemn, practical commands that God ever gave. Resist sin in your mortal body. Don't obey it. Resist it. Wow, that calls for a very personal commitment on our part, doesn't it? It is not a commitment if it says, oh, well, I don't do what the preacher says, so I must not really be a Christian. And that may be true, but that's not Paul's argument here. I might think, I better try and get back into God's grace. No, that is not biblical at all. Why? What is the commitment? Look at what Jesus Christ has done for us. By dying to sin, its power, its penalty, its curse... And raising us to newness of life. We are one then with Him. We are raised in Him, in fellowship with Him. Conquer in the sign of the cross, resist. That is the dynamic here. It's not guilt, it's not perfectionism, it's not elitism, it's not censoriousness, and everybody better look just like I think they should. It is Christ, His victory, His power. But don't underestimate what resistance means. I'm going to mention three things that it will require of us. Number 1, forsake the world. This that is the disciples first call from Christ, you remember? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father will not be in him. So the first step, if we are going to resist, we have got to be very conscious about our forsaking of the world.
1: Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032.